Welcome to Short Course, episode 96, for April 1st, 2023. I'm your host, Ben Barry. Just wanted to uh, knock out a quick one this week, uh, talking about the match I shot last weekend, which was the South Carolina Section Championship, hosted once again at Belton Gun Club. Uh, this was, it was a great match, honestly. Uh, I know that there were some issues that the, the Saturday shooters ran into, which we'll get to, but uh, to be totally honest, uh, my experience shooting on, on Sunday was just, um, I really couldn't have been better. The match, like I said, is at Belton, which is a a facility that, if not for the, the layout of the bays, would be nearly perfect. The bays are a good size. The gravel offers plenty of traction, great drainage. We ended up getting about a 30-minute downpour in the middle of our day. And aside from a few muddy patches outside the shooting area, it, it really didn't impact the the shooting for the rest of the day. Everything drained. There was no standing water. It was it was it was awesome. Honestly, it was it was a great match. The stages were great. Honestly, I rem- I remember uh, especially last year there was a it was a thirty two rounder where you started with all your mags on the table, and I was shooting in production. So I think that's the only time that I can remember that I've actually stowed three mags on my belt. Uh, and then picked up a fourth to load the gun, but there was just no other way to shoot that stage, which I thought was, you know, a shame. That that that, that seemed kind of short-sighted, but there were no issues like that this time. There was one stage where there was one spot where you could post up and shoot 13 shots, but that was that was really only noticeable by contrast to everything else. I thought the, the, the stages did a great job of setting things up very positionally, so you really were only shooting two or three targets from any given spot before you moved to to the next position which wasn't necessarily far away but it but it would be a step or a turn so it was it wasn't uh it wasn't a mem- none of the stages were memory by any measure you could sort of plot your route through the stage and the targets would appear in front of you and you just you just had to shoot them there wasn't really a lot of memorization and back and forth and that kind of thing so really i i think they did a, a great job with that obviously the the folks who were involved with setting up the match, you know, on on build day, really, there's a there's a level of craftsmanship and attention to detail that's really necessary to get those things right. I before the match, I had talked to both uh, Matt Hopkins and Kyle Stevens. I think they were both planning to be there for setup day. I don't know if that that actually panned out, but I know there were there were a few other people there. Um, I know. Ryan Flowers is local. I think Tyler Meisenheimer. So a bunch of a bunch of guys, uh, you know, GMs, obviously high level shooters. That whoever whoever was there, I, I don't want to name somebody, leave somebody out. I, I genuinely don't know, uh, but whoever was there, the, the the quality obviously showed through. And uh, yeah, like I said, in terms of in terms of shooting, I thought the stages were fair. Nothing was was really over the top. The Shots were all doable. You just had to basically decide how hard you wanted to make any given shot. And there were, if if I had to pick out something that that I would probably do differently, the the use of the movers in in a few spots were were very either sort of hit or miss in the sense that if you got the timing just right, things went well. If they didn't, then you were stuck basically waiting for a second pass with nothing really to do. And and there were kind of three. There were, there were three places that this happened. There was a fourth mover that was just an over-the-top swinger where basically you could you could shoot it, you know, as it you could take as many passes on it as you wanted, and you didn't really have to wait very long for it. But the other moving targets, there was a, a drop turner that you had to get four hits on. 
there was this this sequence of four bobbers where they they triggered left to right so the they basically popped up in a little cardboard wave kind of thing and then there was a one of the holy monkey uh, double pivot swingers and basically on in all three cases the only way to to get a really decent score and a, a good time was just to commit to shooting them on the first pass so in the case of the drop turner if it turned away and you didn't get all four shots on it since it was since there were no penalty mics it really was not worth it to wait for another turn just to get say a fourth shot on it so you basically just pre-programmed in hey when it starts turning i start cranking off 25 splits and i'm going to get as many alphas and charlies you know on this on this drop turner as i can and in that one pass and then i'm out of there and by the same token the the way the bobber wave worked i mean to some degree i think by the time the the fourth one went away the first one was starting to come back but if you if you had missed a target or you know if you had a a light strike or a jam or anything you were basically having to wait a, a whole cycle for whichever target you needed a, a second shot on and then the holy monkey it just the way it presented it was it was very similar where you basically got one really good presentation at the start and then a bunch of bad ones and then like the fourth or fifth one was was good again and so there again you just kind of had to commit and say i'm going to i'm going to take two shots on the first pass and whatever i get i get and to be totally honest for for a guy of my skill that actually wasn't that big of a deal um i i shot all of those targets just fine like i said i, I committed to a certain pace and had decent points on on all of those to me i think that kind of gimmicky stuff is i would probably find that i i would find it demotivating as like a as a b-class shooter probably you know something like the the bobbers where you're kind of like oh like okay where where do i go back to I didn't hear anybody really talking bad about it. So, I mean, maybe every maybe it was a crowd pleaser for everybody of all classifications. Like I said, to, to me, the the drawback to something like that is you you have to commit to a certain plan. And if you don't hit it, then it's not like you're it's not going to be a gradual degradation in, in your score. It's like either you, you had a really good run or you had a bad run. And there was there wasn't really a lot of middle ground in between. If you, you know, missed the first pass, you were either taking no penalty mics in the case of the drop turner or, you know, just basically having to wait for a, a second exposure. So that's that's really the the biggest complaint I, I can make. I will say, on the other hand, the so there, there was it was actually one stage that had the holy monkey, the drop turner and a, a, a door prop that I thought was it was really smartly designed and really well built. So basically it was a. I don't know, an eight foot, seven, eight foot tall, you know, sheet of plywood basically with hinges mounted on the bottom and little anti-skid pads. But, but the idea was that it started closed and you had at the start of the stage, you started behind it and you had to push it open and it would, you know, again, the hinges were at the bottom and so it would fall forward and then you'd have to move in and basically stand on top of it or at least move over it to stand on the gravel on the other side to, to get into the shooting area. And honestly, it was it was a, a very fair challenge, but it was definitely something that kind of you don't see every day. It, it was very much that I, I think it struck just the right balance of something that it might not be worth putting that level of effort into it just for a club match. But at the same time, it was a, it was a, like I said, it was a well-built prop. It was very reliable. It was easy to reset. And so it, it worked well for all two, 300 shooters, however many people, you know, shot the, shot this match. So, I, I liked seeing that. I, I definitely think it is very easy to 
shy away from kind of taking risks like that, you know, running stuff that you don't necessarily see at a, at a local match. And for all I know, I, I mean, I could go back and try and look at their, their monthly match videos. For all I know, they, they had been testing this thing at, at monthlies, which honestly is the way you should do it, right? Build the prop, try it out a few times, make sure it, you know, there's not something you're not seeing and then throw it in the, the, the bigger match. And so it kind of follows this arc of things starting off small and those successful ones grow and, and get exposed on the larger stage. So I, you know, other than that, you know, like I said, the, the, the stages were, they were just straight up good tests of shooting. There were a few where you probably could have deleted one, two, maybe three targets. And the, the stage really wouldn't have been that much worse. It was just kind of dragging up the round count for, for no real productive reason, but it wasn't, it wasn't egregious by any means. And again, you know, you, you were, you were still sort of having to, to move between positions. There, there definitely were some, I think, you know, if, if they could go back to setup day and, and change something, I think probably the, the one thing that, that gave them some issues and is not something that I, I really would have thought of was the issue of having poppers obscured by plastic barrels. And basically the issue was, you know, per the rule book, any full diameter hit on the barrel is a, is a strike through hardcover. If it knocks down the popper, then that's a stop and a reshoot. And I don't think in most cases people were trying to do it on purpose. It was just one of these things where people would either be trying to leave the position or not come fully into position. There were, there were two stages in particular uh, that, that come to mind that, that had poppers really, the, the popper was really the, the target that kind of rooted you to that position where you had to hit the spot really precisely. And so if you, if you underran or overran the position even slightly, then the, the popper might be partially obscured by the barrel. And then, you know, you're trying to shoot around the barrel. I don't think anybody, you know, was, was trying to, you know, x-ray vision through the barrel or anything, but it just happens that you might crank off a shot and it goes through the barrel, but it comes out at an angle where it still has enough juice to, to, to knock the popper down. And so on one of the stages, they were able to bring in steel challenge plates, the, the big rectangular plates and, and hang them behind the barrels so it didn't change the target presentation but it meant that if the shot went through the barrel it would hit the steel plate instead of the popper which was a which was a good fix in that case i'm not sure why they why they weren't able to do that on the on the second one that comes to mind but it was um it it, it was it was one of those things that definitely was a, a cause of some reshoots and you know really when you're trying to run a major match reshoots are just i mean that that's what absolutely kills you so on our squad so shooting on Sunday, we, we started probably <laughs> definitely earlier than, than I think I would have liked. And, uh, earlier than, than probably, I think some of the ROs would have liked. We, we had first shots at seven 30, which was basically as early as was reasonably possible to start shooting, uh, with just the available sunlight. And so that probably could have been, been pushed back a little bit. Um, I, I'm not exactly sure why they scheduled it that early, given that, at least on Sunday, we we were scheduled, I think, to start at seven thirty and be done by one o'clock or one thirty. And and I get it, you got the hour arbitration, then you you want your staff to be able to tear down and get on the road. But uh, I know I, I probably would have appreciated you know an hour more sleep, and, and some of the staff probably would have too. But but hey, you know, for stuff make for st- staff making the drive home, uh, I can you know I, I can see it. But the we started. Nice and early, we ended up having about a 
30 minute, 45 minute, maybe rain delay where we just had this, this band of rain just dump on us. And I thought the, I thought every, the, they did the right thing. They just called, called the ceasefire because you don't want one squad continuing to run. And then, you know, they, they catch up with the, they, they have to shoot some stages in the rain and then they catch up with the squad in front of them and they're waiting around just given, given the way the timing was going, it was just the right thing. Just let the band of rain blow through and then, and then get back to shooting. Cause once, you know, once it was done, it was, it was perfectly clear. And like I said, it was the, it was, it was a great day of shooting. I, I do, I am aware that apparently staff day was a bit of a marathon and that Saturday there were, there was some kind of, it doesn't seem like there was one single issue, but there were, there were some kind of compounding issues that, that basically led to uh, Saturday being a marathon as well. I think with the, the last shooters finishing up close to close to 8 PM, which was definitely running out of running out of daylight. So I don't, I didn't hear uh, you know, a postmortem on, on what happened there. Hopefully there'll be, you know, some kind of discussion of that. I, I wasn't privy to it. Um, I was just walking around that day and, and I ended up leaving the range around six 30. So I, I don't know what the exact situation was. My sense is it was, it was largely, uh, from what I heard, it was, it was largely related to, to reshoots just for various different things all over, but you know, not, not the stuff that, that you normally would think of the, the props and the activators seemed to be pretty reliable, but it was, it was just things like the, the steel getting shot through barrels, uh, and, and whatnot. And this was a, a staff reset match and it was, uh, it, you know, it was just great. Um, the, each stage had a ton of folks. They, they were able to kind of spread out the load and, you know, you, you'd have a, on a stage with movers or something, you'd have someone go setting the steel and, and setting the mover while you were going around scoring and pasting the, the paper targets. And so, yeah, as a, as a shooter, it was, you know, it was nice, especially being on a squad with friends, we could kind of spend more time with each other. And, you know, you even got a little bit of time to, to talk to the staff in some cases. And yeah, I, I mean, people, I keep hearing that area six is special. This can't be done everywhere else. I, I don't know. I don't know why that would be true. Um, but yeah, this, this match was, was great. And I, I really, if you, if you have the opportunity to shoot the North Carolina section in September, hopefully it'll, it'll be as good of an experience as that. If not come back to this one, it's, this is the, to me, this is the way that, that nationals should be run. And the fact that, you know, a couple podunk, uh, state matches can, can put it on an experience like this, I think is really sets, uh, sets the bar. I, I will say the, the one thing, you know, I guess, cause I just can't, get away with saying only nice things. The the one thing was the way that certain squads or certain stages were running their, their staff reset, especially on stages where you kind of started at the back and finished at the front, they would do some kind of scoring ahead or split scoring. And all things being equal, if we, if you can take advantage of the speed of staff reset and, and cut down on that kind of thing, um, I, I think that would be good. I definitely think it's always nice as a competitor when you can walk with the timer RO and just be there to to sort of score each individual target. And to be honest, you know, in my experience, at least at, at club levels, when you start trying to get people, you know, multiple spots, trying to score targets, it's, uh, it doesn't save as much time as you would think versus just as soon as the shooter's unloaded, you just go all the way to the left, all the way to the right, and just score in a big arc all around the, the stage. And, 
I, I will say at the very least, I, I definitely now one thing I will say, one nice thing about staff reset is it makes it easy to have a delegate available to follow whoever is doing the the scoring ahead. If there is one person doing the scoring ahead, I think there was at least one stage where you had one person pre-scoring the left side and a second person pre-scoring the right side. And so in a scenario like that, even if you nominate a delegate, who do they follow, right? There's, there's literally double scoring ahead being done, which I don't think is a hundred percent kosher. I think if, you know, you, you ran that by a, an RMI, they might say, yeah, don't, don't do that. And again, I'm not, I don't think that, that, that really ends up saving you that much time. Um, so all things being equal, if I can have my cake and eat it too, having staff reset while also having a chance as the competitor to, you know, walk with the timer RO and score, uh, you know, score all the targets or at least, you know, all the, the ones that aren't little three yard burner, you know, right in your face type targets. It, it wasn't really an issue, um, but, but it definitely was one of those where uh, there, there was at least one stage where I was kind of like looking around, like, you know, the, the guy with the tablet was hearing scores called out from multiple spots. And I was like, what is going on? So, yeah, like I said, if you have the the benefit of, of staff reset, I think using it to give the shooter that that extra ability to, to, to follow the, the, the timer RO around and, and see all the targets is nice. Again, not every competitor cares, but but for those of us that do, it, it is nice to even if it's Alpha Charlie, see where the Charlie went. I know I know this is this is some first world problem stuff right here, but it, it would be nice. They did not end up having any kind of chrono or equipment check, which definitely was something that people noticed and commented on, particularly the the equipment check. I, I heard numerous people talking about how they saw other people walking around with guns that were, you know, too far from the belt or too high or too low and that kind of stuff. And I mean, I, I get it. I, if I had to guess, they probably just either didn't have the staff or didn't have someone they could dedicate to to doing the the chrono work. I mean, I will say the actual bays ended up, you know, seemed like they were well staffed. The they had a lot of volunteers that that are club members running, you know, running the golf carts, driving people between the the two different sides of the range, which is as I started to mention at the top of the show, that that's really the main drawback is is just the fact that the bays are are separated in groups. Although I did hear a couple of people tell me that they've just bought a bunch more land and they're planning to dig a bunch, like a dozen or two crazy numbers of more bays to the point where I guess hopefully a year or two, three down the road, we wouldn't even have to use the the, the one set of bays that are all the way off to the left. Like I guess at some point there might be 12 bays within walking distance of each other and then you would just use those that that would be awesome again the, the facility is is great it seems like they have a, a really active involved membership uh, every year that i'm there the the folks that are running the golf carts uh seem to just be club members i don't think they're uspsa competitors but they're people that are just happy to be there and and honestly i mean you know they, they always have a smile and a kind word which i mean there's something to be said for that there's something to be said for that hospitality it really seems like people you know, folks are proud of their club. They're they're proud of of hosting such a big match, and 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 they should be. Again, it's a it's a great facility. But uh, yeah, so no chrono, no equipment check. Eh, I mean, I know I'm kind of a, a stickler for this stuff, but you know, on the other hand, I've I I've also gone on record as saying 
that the way most matches run a mandatory chrono where you just file in and you you know you know your bullets are either going to be collected at the first stage or you just walk up to chrono with the bullets you want to chrono at that point the the system is so easy to cheat at least chrono is really kind of pointless having equipment check uh on each bay you know for example at the before each squad starts doing a doing a lineup and having a CRO or, or an RO on on each stage equipment check everyone and then kind of spot checking people throughout the match that probably would have helped um that's 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 actually one of the things coming out of the North Carolina section last year that I'm advocating for changing this year is you know we would we would do equipment check when people came through chrono but that might be it might be with one or two stages left in their match and at that point you know the the rules say anything that's a a, a score that's done you don't touch that, but they have to fix any equipment issues before they can start the next stage. But I think having having someone on each bay that sort of knows the—I mean, ideally every every certified RO and CRO would know—but having at least one person on each bay to just check, you know, the the position, the distance from the belt, and the height, and all that for each each gun, each competitor before they start the first stage, I think would be—it's the way to go. I mean, at least that's that's. That's what I would like to see. You know, that's the way certainly I think nationals should run. I think that's it. It is recommended. I think the rule book lists that as sort of a recommendation, but not a requirement. And so that's I think that's the way we're going to try and do it at North Carolina. At, at the end of the day, you know, do does that kind of equipment stuff make a huge difference? Not really. But at the same time, if we're going to have rules, you know, let, let's follow them. But it was a it was a pretty minor thing. I think as long you know as long as everybody was being honest, which there's no money on the line. So why would you not be, uh, you know, it didn't, it didn't really impact the the actual outcome of the match, but, but it definitely was something that, that kind of made me scratch my head. And this, this kind of dovetails into the the final point, which is they did have one of the things that they, they really tried to make a, a marquee thing was the size of their, their vendor area. And it was, it was definitely sizable. I think there were nine different vendors there and there was this, there was a, a system where when you registered, you got a little card and if you went to six or more of the vendors, so each vendor had a little, you know, craft store punch that was a different shape. And so you, you were supposed to get six or more punches and then you could drop your card in the, in the box for, I I thought it was just like raffling off one or two things. Apparently if you like that, the whole prize pool, every prize that was, uh, (laughs) that was, that was sent to the match was awarded by people that that filled out their punch cards. I, I didn't I didn't realize that, so I didn't end up doing it because I figured they were just going to like raffle off one gun or something. Uh, so I, I and I I had other stuff going on. I ended up uh, ended up sitting down with Brian Conley from Hunters HD Gold to record an episode of, of his podcast. And so uh, that, I did that on Saturday when all my all the guys that were on my squad were in the vendor area. And then when we got through there on Sunday, because we were delayed by the rain and the the stage one was open, we ended up just kind of skipping over it. But again, most of the folks on our squad had already seen what they wanted to see. And I mean, I will say the, so like one of the vendors there who I don't, I don't know exactly who was representing them, but apparently one of the vendors there that had some product that they were demoing was, was Targets USA and the the guys, some of the guys that were on my squad are the, you know, the match director and the other people involved in, in putting on the, the Sir Walter match. And apparently they saw some, 
some product from Targets USA that, you know, yeah, they could have gone to the website and, and seen some pictures, but apparently seeing it in person, it was it was really impressive. I think they were talking about the way the they have some kind of plate system where the, the plate doesn't, it just tilts back. It doesn't fall off the base. You don't have to pick it up out of the mud. It's easier to reset. So it's it's kind of more like resetting a popper than, than resetting a falling plate. And hopefully it's more resilient to, you know, getting shot low and, and rattling the stand and having the plate fall off. Again, I, I didn't get to see it, but but it was it was interesting that obviously there was some value there in having that that in person experience, and you know I, I think to some degree you know not all not all sponsors of a match should have to have a physical presence there you know to some degree if you can just send some product or write a check and have your name in the match book have some banners up right it's it's a form of it's it's just advertising it's a way you know it's like putting an ad in in the magazine or something, but. The, the fact that there was this opportunity for folks that did want to have a physical presence and, you know, it made sense. There were a number of gun vendors. So Masterpiece Arms, who was the, the title sponsor, was there with, I think they had like 10 or 12 of their guns that, that you could just. And, and what was interesting is they had set up the vendor bay, the vendor area right next to a, a shooting bay. And so you could you could take the gun and just walk over and and shoot it. And there were there were a couple other gun vendors there. Da Vinci, I think, had some PCCs. Zero Delta had I don't know if they were actually shooting their guns or if they were just there to uh you know to to show them off. But it, it was it was an interesting setup. And I mean, for me, like as someone who has a bunch of guns and I'm I'm not really looking to to buy, you know, new guns, it it, it didn't really have it didn't really hold much appeal, but I can see like it seemed, it seemed like people really enjoyed it. And for me, I, you know, if, if we had had time in the vendor area as scheduled, I probably would have just sat down and had a drink and, uh, you know, had some water and, and eaten some beef jerky or something and, and recharge my batteries a little bit. And they, they had some food, they had like a barbecue vendor on site who was doing the staff meals. And so, you know, maybe gotten a plate of barbecue or something. So given, given how well the schedule was running, I, I wouldn't have minded it. It does seem like they probably could have done chrono on that bay at the same time. So, you know, at some point during your, your time in the vendor area, you also go chrono your, your stuff. But yeah, again, for whatever reason it, it wasn't there, but it was, uh, it was definitely interesting. I think people, it really, it, it felt like a big deal after the, the match on Sunday, once folks were done shooting, I saw a lot of people kind of go back to the vendor area and they were kind of milling around and, and talking to the vendors and stuff. So, it was a, uh, yeah. It, it was it was well done all around. I I know I was I was definitely skeptical about, you know the <laughs> the the stuff about oh like you got to make sure you 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 go and visit. It'll be a scheduled stop on the the calendar. But you know if if the next stage had been full and we'd had nothing else to do, yeah, definitely circulate around. And you know the fact that that we were running behind because of the rain and it was Sunday afternoon, so some of the vendors were starting to pack up because they wanted to you know get on the road back to wherever they they had to go. So it. Yeah, it was interesting. I, I I had I have no complaints about it. So, yeah, this is a, a lot of a lot of different aspects, but on the whole, you know, aside from aside from those few minor complaints, this was it really was a, a great match. Uh, huge props to to everybody that that helped set it up. A lot of credit to the this was I believe this was Todd Holmes' first time as the South Carolina section coordinator and match director, I believe. I believe he was involved as sort of an, in an assistant shadowing type role last year. I, I think that's the case, but this was, this was the first time it was, you know, the big show and, uh, and it went great. 
there was, you know, there, there was a hiccup where a, a stage had to get tossed. I, I heard that it was related to targets getting changed in, in some kind of inconsistent manner, which, yeah, I mean, you don't like to have it happen. It's, it's one of those detail things that, that you hope to eliminate, but at the same time, stuff happens. I think it, it did change the outcome of the match a little bit, but not hugely. I mean, there were, you go from 10 stages down to nine, nine is still a, a pretty representative number. It, it, you don't want to have a, a six stage match and then, you know, have one of those thrown out, but stuff happens. I, I certainly, <laughs> the stage that was thrown out was actually the, the one that I had the best percentage placement on before it was tossed out. So I, I certainly would have been happy to, to have it stay in, but you know, I, I'm glad that they did the right thing. And when the issue was, was, uh, was realized, just, just cut it off and, uh, and be done with it. And, uh, yeah, other than that, it was a it was a great match. I have my match video up on my on my YouTube channel, barryshooting.com slash YouTube. If you if you want to see it, I got the first person and the the third person, including the the stage that it ended up getting uh, tossed. But it was yeah, it was a great match. If you're in the area and you have a chance to shoot at Belton for the South Carolina match or their their monthlies, definitely do it. I think they're they're doing really cool stuff. This this planned expansion is definitely something to keep an eye on. Um, yeah, I won't say too much more than that, but definitely something to keep an eye on for the future. So that wraps up this episode of short course. My email is Bennett Talk to you next time.